and welcome to Brujas. Hello, friends. We hope you are well. Yes. Um, I might be slightly unwell, but you know what? <laughs> Pulling it together. Just emotionally. It's okay. Exactly. Me too. Um, I'm Marcella. And I'm Skyly. And it's our first episode in 2021. Oh my gosh, it is. Yeah. It is. We're finally, we finally caught up to you all and we're in 2021. So it's exciting. Amazing. We did it. Yes, we did it. Nothing has changed. In fact, things have gotten worse. Things have gotten worse, which I, which I kind of saw coming, but you know. Me too. I mean, (sighs) what can I say besides fuck the fash? I know. I'm disgusted, but that's how, that's how it goes. Honestly, that's my flop of the week. So we can just jump into that. If okay. You want. Yeah. No, that's, that's because a good flop. I'm, I'm ready to rip into it. Um, I'm, I'm appalled by the riots and just disgusting behavior of the people at the Capitol this week. And mm-hmm. hopefully this can be kind of a wake up call for our country about just the amount of like ignorance and hatred and just blatant white supremacy that is proliferating in America. So that's what I wanted to say. Super big flop of the week and wake the fuck up. It is. Yes. It's a very big flop. Um, Again, I don't think any of us are surprised. I think this is what I expected. If anything, yeah. I'm surprised at how little this has changed anything. Yeah, people are going to be like, "Okay, that's bad." I didn't, I wasn't involved, so moving yeah. on. It's you know, those, like, those are people. bad people. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's exactly. It's just yeah. People are just like distancing themselves from it. Mm-hmm. Um, not much has changed except that the U.S. is trying to kind of. And, and a lot of leftist circles have, like, warned against this, mm-hmm. um, but basically trying to broaden the definitions of what terrorism is. Yeah. And I, I didn't know this until all of this happened, but basically that can be a very dangerous thing because mm-hmm. it gives the U.S. more freedom to just punish anyone that dares, like, go against the government in any way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, those people fucking deserve terrible things to happen to them like I'm, I'm not just trying to say that but just yes the labeling of any kind of anti-government basically people are afraid that that's what it's going to turn into right that like yeah anything that's anti-government is going to be labeled terrorism mm-hmm. and that the u.s will grant itself the power to more harshly punish dissenters essentially yeah so in case things couldn't get worse they are mm-hmm. um i know a lot of people in leftist circles are afraid of what the consequence of this might be in terms of like the protests that were happening this Mm -hmm. this summer in good faith what that will look like going forward um Mm -hmm. it's still fucking terrible again not not surprised um i don't understand why the republicans frankly were cowering in their and evacuating yes like no, those are your people, right? Those are your constituents. Oh, they're, tra- they're trying. They're trying to put on a face for it, though. Yeah. Why? Why don't you go out and meet them, huh? These mm. are people that voted for you. 
granted they were yep. charging hang my pets, but I mean, come on, Mitch McConnell, Ted mm-hmm. Cruz. Yeah. Now, now you're condemning what happened? Yep. <sighs> I've been angry and upset. And yeah, I don't exactly know how, how to channel that, which I feel yeah. kind of frustrated about other than, I don't know, knowing that I like stand strong on my beliefs and I guess everyone could say that for themselves, even though the way that people go about spreading their messages is just like so full of disgust and hate when it should be targeted at reform or not even reform, just like a new system. Yes, essentially. Um, No surprise. We talk about it all the time, but this country is terrible. Everything about it is rotten to the very Mm -hmm. Yeah, starting with it's, it's yeah. the way in which it was founded. Yep. Someone was on Twitter was like, is it really a coup if it's like the same fascists just trying to take power? And I was like, no, it's I can't even call I don't it know. a coup. It was a fascist takeover. They were they just went mask off and were like, mm-hmm. America should be a fascist nation. And yeah. <sighs> just so, yeah. the amount of like pure ignorance as well. Seriously. I found out thanks to this that um, like I follow a page that's pointing out identifying people from videos and photos of the event. Yeah. That are from San Diego. Mm-hmm. to like warn people to like report them to their employers or to like stop. Did you see that one guy businesses. who just wore his badge, his like work badge and you could just yes, see it. I thought, yes. Again. <laughs> like, sir. <laughs> so, well, it's cause they think nothing is going to happen to them. They see no and issue with what they're doing. Frankly, kind of in our current environment it might not they very well could be identified and just continue living their bigoted lives exactly i mean their beliefs certainly aren't going to change like some of them are kind of freaking out i guess because like a bunch of people that supported them and like incited them are suddenly like trying to separate themselves from it yeah yeah um but be like oh that's actually a really terrible thing yeah yeah, suddenly it's like, oh, we would never condemn violence. Like, mm-hmm. come on now. Like, mm, or trying to say that it was anti- Antifa and, mm-hmm. like, secret. Oh, my God. The conspiracy theories. But um, this page uh, um, pointed out that most of the people from San Diego that were there mm-hmm. are a part of this church. And I'll call them out. Called okay. Awaken Church San Diego. Is this like and a mega church type situation? It is a mega church. Of course, it's a mega church. And of course, I, a church I, for profit, not for Jesus. Yeah, I just exactly that's what it is. Like their religion is not God. Their religion is white supremacy mm-hmm. and virulent racism. Like mm-hmm. I just I don't understand how they're allowed to exist. Like I do, obviously, because they're hiding under the guise of oh, we're a religious institution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm disgusted by it. Like I I had seen it. I knew I, I hate mega churches. Like I'll mm-hmm. be open about it. That's not hating religion to me. That's hating a very specific brand of people yeah. who get into religion to make money and get famous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Duggars. Um and and I knew that they existed and I hated them for that reason, but I didn't know that this one, it's like breeding those kinds of people. They're like very anti um um anti the governor, anti Gavin mm-hmm. Newsom. They openly spew misinformation about COVID-19. They've continued having in-person services and have encouraged Mm -hmm. 
their congregation to continue to have their businesses open or like just continue living as of the pandemic. And I'm sure have also spread COVID rampantly through their communities. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm sure there's no cases tied directly to them that I've seen reported, but I can guarantee that that's true. Things are quite bad here. So there's no way that one of them, at least one of them hasn't had that happen. Yeah, of course. Um, And then what else is, yeah, I guess just like a bunch of local terrible business owners. Mm -hmm. They're also just like very, like the, the leader of it, because there's three branches, mm-hmm. is just very open about his conspiracy theories. Like, they're all over his Instagram page. And that's oh what he's God. teaching to his... Con- I'm like, you don't get to do that. I feel like if you are actually a person mm-hmm. who believes in God and is a pastor because you just want to share the word of your God with yeah. other people, you should not bring your political opinions into any of this because... Mm-hmm. Like you're in a position of power over all of these people, and you know that. But that's the where they use. I know use religion as a dangerous way to wield political action. Like I, I shit on my Catholic upbringing all the time, and my Catholic school was terrible in many ways, and taught me a it lot did of traumatize you. Validly. It traumatized me, but they. I don't remember ever them being like vote for these hateful Republican people. Like, at mm. the very least, they didn't do that. I mean, yeah. the the bar is in hell, but at least, you know, they upheld that. I just, I can't believe that's allowed to happen. Like, that that's, isn't that intersection of state and religion? Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that illegal? Yeah, but oh I God. feel like people buy into it as like a community mindset. And they're like, okay, this is what I believe. This is what these people believe. Of course, like I fit into this Yes, group. it's a cult and, is what it is. Okay, this is very on brand with what I'm going to be talking about in my case today because it's a church turned cult situation. Of course so, it is. That's what happens. That's what happens yes, when you encourage person. sameness and that the mm-hmm. person in charge is interested in power more than anything else. Like- Yep. So we will talk more about this topic. It will be carrying through. Our theme of the evening is don't be a fucking sheep. Think for yourself. Yes. My my case is kind of out of left field, but but yes, that will be the beef of this one. Don't be a sheep. (laughs) Don't. Um, What is my flop? Um, I guess it's... Yeah, everything is just going to be a shitty week in terms of... The country got a migraine. It wasn't too yeah. bad. Me the other day, I'm like, had my first cry of the year. <laughs> Yay. Welcome to Yay. 2021. It's the way it's um, going. Yeah. I, you know, went back to work. Didn't like it. Yeah. I was reminded of how I'm stuck where I am currently. Also, like, everyone has COVID. People keep canceling their appointments because they have oh, COVID. Oh, gosh. So That's we'll go great. in with like the next day we'll be full, a full schedule. Mm-hmm. And then I come in to just like messages after messages of people being like, I woke up with a fever and body aches. Oh, and no. so I can't come in, which like thankfully, you know, they're not. Yeah. Coming, but thankfully they realized. But <laughs> uh, yeah, it's bad. Not ideal. The COVID mm-hmm. situation is quite bad in Southern California. Yeah. I. I'm getting my my microchip now. I'm getting my second <laughs> dose of the vaccine tomorrow. Exciting. I've also yes. heard people got kind of sick from the second one for like a day. Yeah. 
Well, we got this kind of informational notice about what to expect. And it kind of seems like basic symptoms, like fever, chills, kind of flu-like things. But as long as it doesn't develop into like stomach issues, they said loss of smell and taste and that sort of thing. Like, don't be concerned. It's just kind of normal. Yeah. So um, I have a bunch of friends who had, well, best, for example, had never gotten the flu vaccine in her life, and I made her get it when mm-hmm. we were in Tulane. And yeah. she, because she'd never had it, she got symptoms for like a day mm-hmm. or two. Yeah, like she just felt off, had a mild fever, and then it went away. And I've, I've never gotten that because I've had a flu vaccine since I was little. So I think it's just mm-hmm. like the first time your body is introduced to the virus that you mm-hmm. – that you have those symptoms, but oh, that makes sense. They won't be too bad. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of expecting it, so I'm gonna be like, okay, I might feel crappy for a few days, but yeah. then I'll be fine. But then you'll be vaccinated against COVID, so the good always the bad. Yes. My other question too, I've been mm-hmm. kind of asking people this to see what their opinion is. If you're a conspiracy theorist and you think the government is trying to put microchips in us, <laughs> do you think it's in the first or second dose? Oh. That's interesting. <laughs> Brian says ha- he's like half a chip per each. It made me laugh. Trying to get into the brain of a conspiracy. Yes, theorist. you don't really want to go into that psyche. I don't. But it's kind of fun to hypothesize. Um, I'd say probably it would be in the first dose, mm-hmm. just to ensure that people <laughs> get the first one. So even uh-huh. if they decide not to come back for the second, the chip's been implanted. Also, yes. That's great if I thinking. were a conspiracy theorist and I heard that people were only feeling symptoms after the second one, I'd be uh-huh. like the first one is just the microchip and the second one is the actual vaccine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think you're right. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I love that the people that do these are like boomers that have yeah. zero understanding of technology and also posted this yes. from an iPhone that they never put down. Yes. Like, honey, the government doesn't want to track you and they don't need to because you post every aspect of your life. On these Facebook. folks Facebook in their sleep. They you know? do. Like, ugh boomers um was that your bop uh yes that was my bop of the week that was my bop it's a good bop it's a good one. Ooh, i have another bop though oh what is your bop i'm yeah. knitting a scarf yes you've seen i've seen um progress it's getting this. it's getting very long i've messed up a few times but i think it looks great so far that's i to just be want like a very i want it to be like obscenely long like kind of bordering on like neck injury but <laughs> i just want to wrap it around my neck like three times and just have this giant yes scarf. i love that you can look like it was lenny <laughs> kravitz with his giant scarf yes you know, that's right what now. i aspire to be that's what you're channeling <laughs> um my bop is that i made king cakes and that's not my actual bop because it came out okay. It was my first time. Yeah. I'm impressed. It looked beautiful. Thank you. My actual bop is that I wanted to be very authentic. So I bought plastic babies to put in my king cake. Did you just buy them online or did you go no, to a I store that Party sold City. plastic? Oh. <laughs> I, went to, I looked at plastic babies and saw that Party City had it. And uh-huh. these babies have given me so much joy. The ass on these babies... <laughs> Wait, tell me, you need to repeat the snap that you said because I laughed about it for so long. I said, is this baby a dugger? Because look at that dump truck of an ass. 
Oh my god! The attention it's it's to detail. very disproportionate. It's so disproportionate <laughs> to the rest of their bodies. It's just that's the first thing I noticed. I was like, "Oh my god, the ass on these babies!" It's just, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! They also are in a position. I guess they're meant to look like how babies when they lie down, they like reach their arms and legs up towards you. Sure. But Sergio <laughs> pointed out that they look like they're twerking. <laughs> if you were to like place them. <laughs> so that's my bop. I've, they've brought me endless joy. I have a bag and of you them have now. so many of them now. <laughs> so many babies. <laughs> I put two of them in my king cake. Uh, well, I made two. So I, there's four yeah. of them in there. Uh-huh. Also, I accidentally baked some of them, but they lived. They were fine. So <laughs> I guess they, they just come out mute, mutated. <laughs> Don't worry. Their asses were fine. Um, okay. So. so how are you supposed to put the baby in after you bake it and just like shove it in yes. the cake? Yes. So the first one I did was the one that I accidentally baked them. I mm-hmm. thought it was done. I picked two random while it was still warm. I picked mm-hmm. two random spots, shoved the babies in through there. But then I realized that the middle hadn't cooked because my oven doesn't work. And it was at like a hundred degrees lower than it was supposed to be. Oh no. Get back in after I had iced it. So the icing like hardened, which was so <laughs> fucking annoying. Still tastes good, but. Ugh. That's good. And then the second one, I was also stupid. I cooked it properly, but I forgot to put the babies in until after I iced them. So my hands were covered in icing and sugar. And also the <laughs> cake had cooled. So I had to like use their little feet to stab through <laughs> the bread <laughs> to get them in there. But it, the baby's in there. There should be a baby in every cake, honestly. There should be a baby. I'm going to start doing it. Just put babies in there and then make, <laughs> make the people give the baby back so I can reuse it. Yes, for sure. Other cakes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to bring one to the office. I'm going to put it on my desk. <laughs> my, my baby. Your so. little Duggar baby. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready for parenthood. I can take care yes. of it. Yes. <laughs> you shove it into a cake. <laughs> shove, I can shove a baby into a cake first, <laughs> There you go. Wow. You know, I'm already feeling better. I'm feeling the good energy now. Good. I was kind I'm of glad. brooding, brooding this week. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm sorry that the snap I sent was a video, but I just, I needed the reveal. Oh of, my God. It was amazing. But, you know, <laughs> so. I showed it to multiple people. I was like, look. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I can get into my story on that wonderful note of joy. Sure. Jump in. I'm ready to hear it. Okay. Um, my story this week is a little shorter because mm-hmm. listening to other episodes, I don't shut up. So this one is shorter. Um, it is also going to be a throwback. Okay. It's unlike Ooh. anyone I've ever done. Mm-hmm. We're going back to the 19th century and we're going to Belgium. Oh my gosh. So also, I love Belgium. Yes. Brussels and mussels. We said that every day. Oh yeah, we are very obnoxious about it. <laughs> Have you ever gone to Bruges? No, everyone's gone oh to Bruges. Oh my gosh. Me. I'm obsessed with Bruges. I've heard wonderful things about it. You've been, Kendall and Cassie have been. Mm-hmm. It's a walled Gina city. Everywhere is stone. It's beautiful. We found this like old man bartender with a great bar. It's fantastic. <laughs> <Old man. laughs> 
No, all the reviews of this bar, I think it was called On On the Rocks, maybe. It's like, mm-hmm. he will pretend that he does not speak any English when in fact he does speak English. So we're like, oh, <laughs> oh. we want to meet this curmudgeonly man. Yes. And so we went there. He was like speaking to us in multiple different languages. And then he was fine. And he was a legend. We went there twice. <laughs> <laughs> I love those kinds of places. Exactly. People who are mean to tourists, I'm like, yes, even though I am a tourist, you can be mean <laughs> to me. I support this. Uh-huh. Um, this is not any city we've been to. It's okay. a place called Bury. And this, again, this is the 19th century. So I don't know that that place exists, exists in its anymore. Form. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a Bury in the UK. Yes, there's a place in Belgium. So let me see exactly where it is. So it is in southwest Belgium. So it is near Mm -hmm. France. It's like almost on the border with France. Um, Also, there's lots of French names that I'm going to butcher, even though I do know how to speak French. I I feel like you'll get it close enough. Um, well, once you see what these names are, I think you'll understand <laughs> why I'm going to butcher them. So, so here we go. Okay. Um, in the 1840s, Count Hippolyte, H-I-P-P-O-L-Y-T-E, Hippolyte. Ooh, a count. A count. So uh, for the rest of the story, I'll refer to him either as Hippolyte or Count, but they're the same person. Okay. Um, count Hippolyte Vizard de um, he was living the good life. That was, that was a mouthful. Um, he came from wealth. His family was one of the oldest noble families in Belgium. And his mom was descended from the Marquess of Chasteler et Moulpay, which is, he was a famous um, army general in Belgium in the early mm-hmm. 19th century. And his father was the vice governor of Java for colonialism, especially Belgium. Oh my God, Belgium and Britain are by are the oh, worst. Yes. I mean, yes. the things they did are just. Also, they just don't talk about it. They're just like, ha, that was in the past, and then they just like move on. And it's like, no, 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 no. Not really better today. No, look how you left a lot of these places. Yes, and what you did. Generations of trauma. Exactly. Like what the the impact of what you've done hasn't resolved itself, and and Mm -hmm. likely never will. And like, I think the British Museum. I've talked about the British Museum. I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. I'm going on a tangent. But okay, yeah. Fuck. Well, when I was in high school, we had to read King Leopold's Ghost, which is about everything the Belgians did in the Congo, and I think that traumatized me. I mean, yeah, it's it's really bad what they did. Mm -hmm. It's you the the lack of humanity yes that these people had to do that is just amazing in a disgusting yes. way um so yeah not a good time for for to be the vice governor of yes, java fuck this dude um yes. so so yeah it comes from money basically um and when he was 24, when Hippolyte was 24, his dad died and left him with a massive inheritance, including not only the family money. I think his mom was probably already dead at this point mm-hmm. since he got the bulk of the family money. Mm-hmm. And he also inherited his father's title, which I guess meant jack shit because the rest of the story, he, he doesn't govern anything once. So, oh, I, I guess you mean count. Oh, that's what they meant. That's how he, he became, became the count. count? Yes. Okay. That's how he became the count. Okay. 
And he also inherited the family estate Chateau de Bitremont near the community of Bury, which is what I said before. Mm-hmm. So you'd think that at this point he'd be set for life, right? He's like 24. He's inherited generations worth of wealth. Um, he's, he's single. That, you know? Yeah. Um, but that didn't last very long. He was not the most frugal person. Um, he spent his money recklessly, living an unsustainable, extravagant lifestyle. And when his inheritance began to run out, he became like a swindler. So kind of like taking (laughs) out loans. I'll become a swindler. (laughs) (laughs) He was just like taking out loans you couldn't pay back, Uh um, you know, lying to people in order to to get things from them, basically. Mm -hmm. And he was on the lookout in, I guess, his like probably mid to late 20s for ways to increase his wealth. And soon he was pretty heavily in debt and short on cash when he met Lydie Fournier. I think I'm saying that right. Um, she was a member of the bourgeoisie, the Ooh. daughter of a retired grocer, though some accounts said that her dad was an apothecary. I didn't know either of those two professions could be wealthy enough yes. to leave <laughs> amount of money, but I guess he was. Um, so when they met, Hippolyte was immediately attracted to her, believing that she was wealthy enough that marrying her would help him, you know, continue the lifestyle he was leading at the time. Do we have a little gold digger here? Come yes, on. he was absolutely <laughs> a gold digger. And Lidi was not much better. Um, she really just wanted to marry him because she wanted to be a countess. Uh, so they were kind of a match made in heaven. So they mm-hmm. did decide to get married in 1843, and they became the Count and Countess Bocarmé. Um, However, Hippolyte, oh, sorry, Hippolyte soon learned that he had vastly underestimated her wealth. Um, she brought in an annual income of 2,000 Belgian francs which was barely as much as he was making at the time, mm-hmm. uh, like, of what he had left. So I tried oh. to find, like, how much Inversion. that would be. Yeah, and it was really hard because the one I found didn't go back far enough in Belgium. Mm-hmm. But now, so 2,000 francs in 1880 would have been around 10000 to $12,000 in today's money. Mm-hmm. So... Again, that would have gone a lot farther, obviously, in, like, 1840. But regardless, whatever they were both making, it was not enough for them because they were both living very extravagantly. Did they have, Um, like, a a fancy house and stuff? Yes. um, They had – so they went on to have four children. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, you know, you have to keep four children alive. And then they had the chateau that he had inherited, which they had to upkeep. It had, like, grounds and land. Um, mm-hmm. They also had a large household staff to run it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, Hippolyte also had a mistress that he was, like, keeping. So that they was can another get expensive, expense. You know? Yeah. And the couple also was known for, like, throwing these massive parties and organizing these hunts on the on the Chateau's estate. So all of that meant that like they were spending just way out of their means, like a ridiculous mm-hmm. amount. Yeah. Um, a few years into their marriage, 
Lidi's father died and her income nearly doubled, but that was still not enough for them. Like they were still barely getting by. Oh my gosh. Um, and then eventually, desperate, they borrowed 40,000 francs, which is so much. Yes. After what I just said, that's like what, I don't, I can't even do the math right now, <laughs> but it's a lot. Significantly more. Yes. I mean, they, they were making about like 6,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So it would have taken them decades to pay all that back. Yeah. So they borrowed 40,000 francs from a notary. Again, notaries were probably a different thing in the 19th mm-hmm. century. <laughs> um, and when they were obviously unable to pay back the loan, Hippolyte was forced to essentially like pawn some of Lady's jewels to the mm-hmm. notary and sell off some of his family's lands in order to keep the creditors at bay. And as their debts began to mount, the couple soon turned their attention to Lydie's brother, Gustave Fournier. So when their father had died, Gustave was the oldest and his only son. So mm-hmm. obviously he inherited most of the family estate. However, you know, he was older than Lidi, and he was also in pretty bad health. He'd mm-hmm. had a leg amputated a couple <gasps> of years earlier and survived somehow, which like... I was going to say, in that time, that's <laughs> yeah. impressive. Um, so he was, you know, kind of sickly. They didn't think he was going to live very long. Um, so essentially, they were just like waiting for him to die so that Lidi and Hippolyte could get his what was left of her father's estate that had been given to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but this would only work if obviously he did not marry and have children of his own, because then the estate would go to his wife and children yeah. instead of that. So like th- they weren't doing him about it. They just like knew that it seems like everyone kind of knew that they were just waiting for him to die. Yeah. Um, and as their deaths increased, Gustav did begin to get a little worried. Um, he mm-hmm. told his servants to burn any meat gifts that the what? count sent him and <laughs> refused to drink anything Hippolyte offered him. Um, I don't meat know what meat gifts, gifts are. <laughs> <laughs> I guess because they Sounds hunted. Sounds indecent. Okay. They like hunted. Maybe they'd be like, here's this pheasant I shot. Ew. I don't know. Um, but... He, Ustav was so afraid of being poisoned that he would carry his own wine with him whenever he ate at the Count's Chateau. Which, like, stop going there, dude. (laughs) Just stop going. I mean, no one's forcing you. Um, And things only got worse when Gustav became romantically involved with a woman in 1850. So, prior to this, like I said, they were just, like, waiting him to die. At one point, Hippolyte went to like a physician and was like, when do you think he's going to die? But now that they knew that he was going to, like he was romantically involved, like they were getting worried. Uh, The woman in question's name was Mademoiselle de Dudzik. I think she's like a German name. Um, Mm -hmm. And soon rumors were swirling that they were going to get married and they were like, fuck, like we have to do something because if they marry before he dies, we're losing everything. And we need Mm -hmm. that to be able to pay back all our debts. And of course they're not trying to like cut back on their lifestyle. It seems. Oh, of course not. That's not an option. That would be not proper. No. So 
Once these rumors began, Hippolyte developed a sudden interest in chemistry. Hmm. He began contacting several chemists for advice about extracting nicotine from tobacco leaves using a false name. And he also bought a distilling apparatus to help him extract nicotine from tobacco leaves. And he also bought just like a shit ton of tobacco leaves and hid them in this little like shed on his grounds. <laughs> um, so now let's take a brief detour. Let's okay. step out of the 19th century and talk about some science. Very exciting. Yes. So nicotine occurs naturally in nightshade plants, which, as we all know, tend to be poisonous. There's some well, that we can eat, though. Yes. Um, so they're predominant, nicotine is predominantly found in tobacco and coca plants, so cigarettes and cocaine, <laughs> essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, it also appears in small doses in tomatoes, potatoes, eggplant, and green peppers. So, again, nightshade plants. Mm-hmm. Um, nicotine is also known obviously, as the addictive agent in tobacco. And when it's inhaled into the lungs, it takes around seven minutes for it to reach the brain. And depending on the type of cigarette, there are anywhere from like six to 24 milligrams of -hmm. nicotine in each cigarette. But a lot of it is just like lost through exhale or just like smoke. Um, Mm -hmm. So as a result, at most, a smoker only absorbs like around one milligram of nicotine. So at such small concentrations, nicotine acts as a stimulant, an addictive stimulant, but that's really it. However, it is also a neurotoxin and actually a very powerful one that's capable of destroying Mm -hmm. nerve tissue, which we might know, like, obviously long-term smokers tend to have long-term health issues as a result of it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's so toxic that in the past, it was actually used as an insecticide. Oh, yeah. Gardeners and farmers would use it to kill aphids and caterpillars. So definitely very, it has the potential to be dangerous. Mm -hmm. Nicotine can poison humans through skin absorption, ingestion, inhalation, or contact with the eye. So like mucous membranes, basically. And there's Mm -hmm. like, what's in vapes, that e-liquid is essentially just liquid nicotine. Which, as a story, yes, and that's why like, children are addicted. <laughs> yes, but as the story progresses, you'll realize how ridiculously dangerous it is. There was mm-hmm. one case quite recently of a woman who, like, accidentally um, she left her vape in bed or like a vial of the e-liquid in bed, and it mm-hmm. broke during the night, and she didn't notice it, so it like absorbed through her skin, and Ooh. it's corrosive when it touches oh no human skin. did her skin get burned yeah so she had to like she lived but she nearly died because it is so so toxic and those vials are essentially poison mm-hmm. that's what they are <laughs> like cigarettes are somehow better than we're literally carrying vials of poison around yeah if they you can do that to your bare flesh oh my gosh Yes. I didn't know. Um, so once it is in the human body in these large doses, it can cause vomiting, nausea, stomach pain, diarrhea, headaches, breathing difficulties, convulsions, cardiac irregularity, um, comas, and it causes death by paralyzing the respiratory muscles. Um, and like I said, it's corrosive in those high quantities, so it can burn your skin. 
Mm -hmm. Um, the exact toxicity level of nicotine is unknown and obviously depends on like the person's weight. Um, but it's estimated that a lethal dose for a human adult is around 40 to 60 milligrams. So now let's go back, back into the 19th century. E-liquid is not a thing yet, or it Mm -hmm. will be shortly actually. So Mm -hmm. our budding chemist, Ipodite, after his discussions with the other chemists and purchasing that distilling equipment, um, began experimenting. So in October of 1850, animals began to go missing around the chateau. And later, dead cats and ducks were found buried on the castle's grounds, no. which I think was very odd in of itself that they would, like, bury ducks. Yeah. Um, and they also bore marks of poisoning. So mm-hmm. very suspicious. And then the following month in November of 1850, Gustav announced his engagement. And that's when things really Uh-oh. We really need to amp it up here. Yep. So the Count and Countess tried talking him out of the marriage. Lidi wrote letters to her brother, basically like trashing his fiance, being like, please, like, rethink it. But Gustav was like, fuck you, I'm getting married. Um, probably he was sick of his sister's shit and her husband's. And he knew what they were after. Yes. They were not subtle about this. No, not at he all. He went to the doctor, he's like, how much longer does my brother-in-law have, you know? Yeah. Not out of concern for his well-being. Exactly. So I support Gustav being like, I'm going to stick it to you. So when their pleas for him to reconsider the marriage failed, the couple decided that their only option was for Gustav to die. And they planned to make it seem as if the already ill Gustav had just died of natural causes. Hmm. And they thought poisoning him with nicotine would be the easiest way to do so because three years earlier in 1847, Um, Another poisoning case had gone to trial, this one involving morphine. So someone had been poisoned with an overdose of morphine, Mm -hmm. but because it was 1847, there was no physical evidence that that's what the person had died of. Yeah, it's not like they could do toxicology. Exactly. They couldn't test for it. They just, like, had a hunch. So the person was acquitted, and... A frustrated prosecutor proclaimed in court, quote, henceforth, let us tell would-be poisoners, use plant poisons, fear nothing, your crime will go unpunished, there is no corpus delecti physical evidence, for it cannot be found. So they were like, let's just poison him. Like That's a great public service announcement. Yes. <laughs> well, they, they didn't. They knew there was no way to test for poisoning, let alone something as yeah. obscure as like distilled nicotine which at the time was very he was really just chewing a lot of tobacco yeah like distilling nicotine was a very weird way like people weren't doing that so Mm -hmm. they thought it would basically be impossible to prove so on november 20th um of the same year gustav went over to his sister's chateau for dinner which seems to have been a relatively regular occurrence. Why he was still going over there, knowing that they wanted him dead, I don't know. But um, the servants of the chateau noted a few oddities from the beginning. So first, though, the children usually ate with their parents and their uncle. In the main dining room, the couple sent them away to the nursery so that it was just the three of them in there. Mm-hmm. Then the countess insisted on serving the meal herself. So essentially like barring the servants from entering 
the dining mm-hmm. room, despite the fact that it was usually them that did all of this. And finally, um, oh yeah, then so it was just the three of them in the room. Um, so after dinner began, things continued to be weird. A maid heard a body fall to the floor in the dining room Uh-oh. and heard Gustav shout, I, I, Ippolite, pardon. Yeah. <laughs> and shortly after, the countess like ran out of the room calling for help. And so her servants came in and found Gustav lying dead on the floor of the dining room. And the servants were like shocked that, you know, there was like suddenly a dead body on the dining room floor. But even more shocking was the way that the count and the countess were acting. So upon entering the room, they found Ippolite looking disheveled and frantically sponging Gustav's face with a vinegar soaked (laughs) sponge. Oh. Um, one maid also noted that he was like forcing the vinegar down Gustav's throat, despite I'm the fact that he was trying to revive him. Yeah, like he was already dead, and he was just like forcing it down his throat. So she was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And then Ippolite ordered that Gustav's body be carried away, undressed, and washed with vinegar. Again, very odd. This is some weird science stuff. <laughs> yes. He also called for the cook and had him scour the dining room floor with hot water. And then Hippolyte himself began scraping the floorboards with a knife. <laughs> so really they were reasonable. like, okay. The countess was also acting very weird. She ordered Gustav's cravat and waistcoat to be burnt. And then she took the rest of his clothes and her husband's jacket that he'd been wearing to the laundry to be soaked in cold water and then wash in boiling soapy water. (laughs) She also had her brother's wooden crutches, because he walked with a crutch due to his amputated leg, Mm -hmm. scrubbed with hot water. And then she was like, no, I'm going to burn these too. So she burnt those. And at first when the servants were like, what? happened here um, yeah also count- servants know what's up i'm sure they know yes. all the gossip going on in this house right so they were like what happened here and the the couple were like oh he died suddenly of apoplexy which is basically like if, you, if that's not a medical term but i guess just like now we would say a sudden heart attack or like he suddenly passed uh-huh. out like a stroke uh-huh. or something um that's what they said that he like screamed and then like died Um, And so soon after, they called a doctor in to confirm Gustav's death. When the doctor arrived, he was taken to a dark bedroom where Gustav's body lay. Mm -hmm. And because he, like, he examined the body, but he couldn't find a reason to doubt the book on his account. So Mm -hmm. he verified the death and left. And that same night, the couple stayed awake, burning papers in their fireplace before finally going to bed, exhausted. And for the time, it seemed like they'd gotten away with it. Like, the death had been verified. They just had to bury him, and essentially no one would be the wiser. Mm -hmm. However, their servants had been frightened by what they'd seen the day Gustav died. And they were very suspicious of the circumstances that the couple claimed that he died in. So they decided to tell a local priest what they'd seen. 
And soon rumors started that Gustav had been murdered. And those rumors reached a man named, oh my God. I think his name is Hubert, but it is spelled H-E-U-G-H-E-B-A-U-E-R-T. Wow. I think you're right, but that's ridiculous. That's just too much. I'm going to call him Hubert. So he was the examining magistrate of Tournai, which I think means like, we would call like a DA now. (laughs) I don't know. A government official that was in charge of things. I got you. So he heard the rumors and decided that he needed to make a trip to the chateau to examine the situation for himself. Mm-hmm. So two days later, on November 22nd, so Gustav's been dead for two days, Hubert arrived at the Bocarmes Chateau together with three doctors that he brought and a town clerk. Mm-hmm. And basically, I think he was just, if necessary, he was just going to declare it again, you know, more officially that like Gustav had died, but he just wanted to see what was going on. So he found the Countess having breakfast and also discovered the fireplace was still jammed with ashes of burnt papers and the crutches. So he was like, okay. That's a very weird thing to That's do. Odd. It's like he just died by accident. Oh, I burned his crutches. Yeah. Um, he also found wood shavings spread all over the floor from where Hippolyte had been like desperately, you know, scraping the floor a couple of days earlier. And then sprinkled wood on it. No, you know how he, like, scraped the floor with a knife? The, the oh, floorboards? it was, like, sawdusty stuff. Yeah, that, that, that was, was, like, weird. all over the floor. So he was, like, that's, yeah, he's, like, that's weird. That was aggressive scraping. <laughs> yes. And Hippolyte himself was, like, very unwilling to appear before him. Like, he eventually did, mm-hmm. but he seemed, like, hesitant. So the guy was, like, mm, okay. So thankfully for the magistrate, Gustav's body was still chilling in the house two days okay. after he died. I don't know Where why. Where did they put him? He was in, like, a bedroom. And it was cold. Oh. It was, like, late November. So I can't imagine yeah. he was, like, getting too gross. But yeah, it's... I, it's I don't know how scale. burial worked at the time. I would think, especially knowing them, that they'd immediately be like, let's get him in the ground. But I guess mm-hmm. they didn't. So um, the magistrate insisted on seeing the body. And very reluctantly, Hippolyte led him to the bedroom, which was still dark, where Gustav's body was. And was like, there it is. And the magic... What? Oh, I I just couldn't hear you for a minute. Oh. what? So the last thing I heard was, we just can't get him in the ground. Well, yeah, I was just saying, like, I, I don't know why they didn't want to get him in the ground as soon as possible. Okay, and then I think the sound cut out for a second. So we'll just clap, clap, done. (laughs) So Gustav's body was thankfully still chilling in the house, like I said, Uh and Ibolite led him to the bedroom where he'd been the first time that the doctor had, like, confirmed the death. Uh Um, And so the magistrate was like, okay, um, it's really dark in here. Can you open... Can you draw the curtains so I can see? Mm-hmm. And the countess was just like, no, I can't. Oh. And so it got to the point, he got so frustrated that he dragged the bed to the window in order to get a better look at the like, body. What are these people up to? What's their Yes. Animal? And when he did, he 
was horrified. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, before that, sorry. Like, when he did get into the window, the Count tried to, like, cover Gustav's face with his hand. And oh, I guess he had to, like, no. flick it off. Yeah, it get, not a good look. So, finally, he was able to get a, get a look at Gustav's face, and what he saw was horrifying. Mm-hmm. His face was scratched and bruised, and oh. his lips and tongue were swollen and blackened. Oh, no. And he had the doctors um, he'd brought with him examine the body, mm-hmm. and they found that Gustav's throat and stomach had signs of inflammation and concluded that Gustav had died from consuming a corrosive substance. Mm-hmm. And they guessed at the time that it was likely sulfuric acid. Uh-huh. Um, so just to be safe, they decided to conduct kind of like a mini autopsy. So they removed uh, his tongue, gullet, I don't know what, I think they mean like esophagus, um, mm-hmm. stomach, intestines, liver, and lungs, preserve them in alcohol, and send them to be further examined by a chemist. Um, so while that was going on, while they were being sent... Well, I think while they were just being examined, um, mm-hmm. the magistrate demanded a straight answer from the Bocahmes as to what happened when Gustav died. Yeah. And at first, the count was like, basically just... attack, you know. Yeah. Well, he, he was unable to give, like, an actual story. Oh. And the magistrate also noticed that his hands were covered in, like, bite marks. And that there was blood under his fingernails. This had happened two days ago. Yeah. And they hadn't washed their fucking hands. Oh. So as yes. the we'll magistrate river, come on. Yes. As the magistrate pressed him, Hippolyte eventually broke down and was like, Okay, I'll tell you what happened. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Gustav very dramatically decided to kill himself in front of us. Oh, convenient. Drank the poison himself, and I saw that it was about to happen, and I tried to, like, wrestle the poison out of his hands. Um, but we fought, and he ended up drinking it, and then he died. And he was, like, saying this to the magistrate, like, crying. Like, I it's so traumatized that he's seen his brother-in-law die. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like, that's why there's all these scratches on Gustav's face and on my hands. Like we were fighting, trying to get the poison away from him, but ultimately he succeeded. And mm-hmm. the magistrate was like, um, I don't believe you. So yeah. he had both of them arrested, the count Good. and the countess. So obviously they suspected that Gustav had been poisoned, but mm-hmm. they knew they were going to have a very difficult time proving it if they had no physical evidence and they didn't even know what he'd been poisoned with. So that made it yeah. all the worse. Mm-hmm. So for now, the, all the police had as evidence were the servants' accounts of the suspicious behavior surrounding his death and what mm-hmm. they'd done to him after he died. Um, and the magistrate decided that to help boost their case, they should send the organs to Jean Servet-Stac, which is, he was a 35-year-old professor of chemistry at the Ecole Royale Militaire in Brussels. Mm -hmm. And he was a renowned chemist that had gotten international fame for his work on the atomic weights of elements. And his work later became the base of the periodic table. Oh. So that's cool. I don't think the periodic table existed by then, but Mm -hmm. he was well known for his work. So they were hoping that because of his abilities, they'd be able he'd be able to identify the mysterious poison that had killed mm-hmm. Gustav. And they didn't find the council nicotine hut. Not yet. 
um, they didn't know what they were looking for. So Stas, um, Stas agreed to the job and immediately set to work. He had a very extensive library that he'd built in his home. Um, And so he began conducting experiments on the preserved organs, though he wasn't sure at first what he was looking for. Like they told him they thought it was sulfuric acid, Mm -hmm. but his first experiments ruled that out. So he was like, fuck. Okay, well, let's keep going. So like if any chemist at the time, and this was gross, he was relying on his nose and tongue. So he was like smelling and tasting things from the body. Oh, like like his tongue that got removed. To help like identify chemicals. That's how they knew them. Like, you know, they didn't have microscopes or shit, I guess. Sir, nobody's making you do this, please. Um, And when when he learned that the Bocarmes had washed the body with vinegar and stuff, he suspected that they had done so in an attempt to hide another poison, one that he thought was possibly alkaloid or plant-based. So he thought like, oh, with the vinegar, like nobody will be able to smell or taste the other poison. So that's why they made him drink vinegar. So he ran with this hypothesis that he was looking for an alkaloid poison and decided to use ether, acetic acid, and ethanol to extract the substance from the organs. And Mm -hmm. eventually, after a lot of distilling, he managed to extract an oily residue that he thought smelled like tobacco. Mm -hmm. And he had successfully isolated nicotine from Gustav's remains and also created the first test to detect plant poison in human tissue. Mm -hmm. He, the method that he developed for extracting that eventually became known as the Stato-Otto method. Um, So he and another person. And it is still a cornerstone of modern toxicology today. Like that's how we test for things in human bodies today. So go him. Um, So to prove the toxicity of the extracted nicotine, he Mm -hmm. fed small portions of it to some pigeons and swallows who went into convulsions and died. Oh my gosh. Very 19th century thing to do. Be like, look, it kills other things. It was of (laughs) the time. Yes. Then he reached the magistrate and asked if the Bocahmes had nicotine in their possession. And upon Mm -hmm. learning this, the police investigated the chateau a little further and discovered Hippolyte's stash of tobacco leaves. Mm -hmm. And then they discovered... um, about the calls he'd made to chemists and how much, how he'd purchased the nicotine distilling equipment and how there'd been a bunch of dead animals that suddenly began appearing in October. And so Mm -hmm. then they began to collect the dining room floorboard scrapings, as well as some of the dead animals, which, ew, Mm -hmm. gross, they'd been dead for months at that point. And they sent all of that. Yeah. They sent all of that to staff for further testing. And he was able to find strains of nicotine in all of the items that were sent to him. So finally they knew what poison they'd use to kill him. Mm -hmm. Ironically, actually, it was the vinegar that Ippolite had so desperately poured all over Stav, yes, Mm -hmm. that helped identify the nicotine because... Um, since the organs had been preserved in alcohol, the combination of the alcohol and the vinegar, which are both very, I think it's like 
base and acid acidity, right? Yeah, vinegar is mm-hmm. an acid, alcohol is a base. They the organs had partially deproteinized, which helped dissolve the nicotine into the alcohol and vinegar mix. Like he essentially helped do the work for him. Oh, interesting. Don't know how well that works because I don't understand science, but uh-huh. yeah. So Ippolite inadvertently ended up helping Stas and sealed his own fate. Um, yeah. So after the investigation was completed, the Bocarmes were put on trial. Mm-hmm. And it was a very sensational trial because, you know, these were people, they were nobles, they were very wealthy, and their motive was just like greed. So it <laughs> captivated the public. They were like, yes. Let's do this. 86 witnesses were called to testify throughout the 17-day trial. And prosecutors... 86. Oh, my... That's crazy. Yes. Um, And prosecutors argued that Gustav had been... Like, their theory of what happened was that Gustav had been held down while nicotine was poured down his throat, (gasps) meaning that two people had to have done it together. Mm -hmm. So that's why they'd arrested, and that's why they were trying both of them. Um, Specifically, they believed... her brother. Yes. They believed Lidi had held her brother down while Ippolite poured the nicotine into his throat. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, when the Bocarme took the stand, they both accused each other of the murder and gave conflicting accounts of what happened. Lily claimed that it was her husband's idea and that he had forced her to do his bidding. Mm-hmm. And she also importantly claimed that she had not been in the room when it happened, that she um, had like stepped out for a moment and that... Ippolite had grabbed Gustav and thrown him to the floor in the dining room. And that when she, sorry, that she'd been in the room, seen that happen. And once he was on the ground, she like got scared and ran away. And Mm -hmm. that she didn't return until after Gustav was dead. Yeah. So she was like, oh, conveniently, she missed the actual murder part, basically. Yeah, she just happened to not be there. Happened to not be there. Ippolite, in turn, admitted that he had to seal the nicotine into a poison or vape liquid and place the nicotine-filled vials on the dining room table. Mm-hmm. However, he claimed that Gustav died because Lidi had mistaken the vials for wine <gasps> and emptied the context of, contents of one of them into Gustav's glass, mm-hmm. killing him in a tragic accident. So he was like, oh, it was, a, it was an oopsie, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and in an attempt to appeal <clears throat> to appeal to like the jurors, the defense brought up that poor little rich Ippolite had been neglected as a child, and that's what had led him to become involved in something like this. Interesting. And so they should take mercy on him. And meanwhile, uh-huh. the prosecution was like, no, like there was evidence of premeditation. They talked about the dead animals and and I'm sure they were talking equipment. to people of like, oh, we need to kill this guy off. We, we yes. need to get his land. Probably. Like, if he knew, I feel like other people knew. Exactly. Um, and so the jury ended up deliberating for an hour and a half before returning with their verdict. The countess was acquitted 
Oh. Somehow. Hmm. Well, Hippolyte was found guilty of murder and sentenced to death. And they said that Hippolyte remained calm when his fate was announced. So death by nicotine said, injection? <laughs> no, no. Um, some said that he just like got flushed when he heard that mm-hmm. he was sentenced to death. And then Liddy's face was veiled, so nobody saw her reaction, but they said that she mm-hmm. didn't have like any body movement towards it. And that she stepped off the dock without speaking to her husband. So, Ippolite attempted to appeal his sentence by appealing directly to the king, since he was a noble, Mm -hmm. I guess, that would do something, but the king was like, no, fuck you. So, finally, he just asked, quote, see that the axe is well sharpened. I have read of cases in which, owing to the blunt edge of the knife, two or three strokes were necessary. The idea makes me shudder. So on July 19th, 1851, Count Hippolyte Vizard de Bocarmé was executed by guillotine to a crowd of thousands. And the blade was kept very sharp to his request so that mm-hmm. it killed him with a single blow. And that wow. is the end. That is crazy. And also my first thought on hearing that is if he had been more resourceful, he could have channeled his nicotine extractions to better use and become the OG vape lord. Yeah. And made, made his fortune <laughs> that way. Lord. We could have been smoking e-cigs since forever. <laughs> it oh would have God. been very profitable for him. It would have solved all his debt problems. Exactly. Come on, dude. All you have to do is create a technology 200 years beforehand, mm-hmm. and he would have been set for life. He would, he would have, have loved been. that. Wow. Okay. I guess my only question after that is why mm-hmm. was the guy who died, why was his face covered in scratches? That was from them holding his head down? Yes. That was, <gasps> I, I think what happened, no, what I think That's happened aggressive. is mm-hmm. that he fought the the thing being poured down his throat. So he was probably yeah. like moving his face, trying to get away from yeah. the poison bio, which is why there was blood under his fingernails. I think it was Hippolyte, like, scratching his face as he tried to, like, pry open his mouth. Oh, my God. This poor man. The poison. Yeah, it was a terrible death. Because he knew it was going to happen, and he did not want it to happen. And he should have not gone to dinner there. That was his downfall. That was his own stupid fault. I will admit that. I like that he traveled with his own personal one, though. Like, I don't trust you. I don't want anything (laughs) you're going to give me. I'm going to bring my own one. God, those people were terrible. They really were. Very aggressive. Um, greed is bad. Also, guillotine is, bad. is the coolest thing to say and look at. Make sure the axe guillotine. is sharp. Make sure the axe is sharp. So I hope you wow. enjoyed that little 19th I did. Throwback. That was interesting. And I like having it from a different country in a different time period. Yes. That's interesting. It's a, a little bit of escapism. They've been dead so long, it's stopped mattering. So, yes. you know, it also like, was a fun break. Yield poisoning. We love that. We love exactly. to hear about it. And it sounds horrible. But we it have does. some science in there. If you're into science, hope you enjoyed that chem. A little chem yeah. sesh. I hope you understood it better than I did. <laughs> okay. When you explain stuff, though, you sound like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> 
Thank you. That's the one skill I learned from my master's degree. How to bullshit it while sounding incredibly <laughs> masters confident. Of bullshitting. <laughs> masters of bullshitting. That's what present like presenting is. Uh huh. Really, yeah. I notice it when like people would come and do talks, and someone would ask a question. Yeah. Sometimes like the facade would fall, and they'd be like, "I don't know." <laughs> and I was like, "See, none of us know what we're doing." See, you're just it's a human. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Welcome back. Um. Welcome back. We had a little break and now we're back. And my case is a little bit longer this week. So there was just a lot of information on it, but I think it's really interesting. Yes. Um, so like I said before, it's going to be about a cult, which is so fascinating. I don't know. I think I really just am into the psychology that surrounds that and kind of group think and just how people can be brainwashed. Yes. And that makes sense given your background. Yes. I w- I've not been in a cult. That is not what she's referring to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you study psychology. I studied you psychology. You have not been in a cult. Yes. No. Okay. So the particular group that I've chosen to dive into this week is called the Church of Wells. And I'm kind of going to break up this cult and explain it in two segments, one being the beliefs of the group. And then for the second part, we'll get into the mystery and the intrigue of a few different controversies they've been involved in because of course they have. Of course. Of course. Okay. So we're going to start a little question for you. First of all, can you guess out of all the states in the U.S., what state this church may be located in? Texas or Texas. Oh, te- <laughs> yeah, yes, okay. you got it on the first try. <laughs> I was like, it's somewhere in the deep south. <laughs> somewhere she hates now. Hi, if you're no. listening from Texas. <laughs> I'm sure I just thought of Waco, and so I was like, it has to be Texas. Yes. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's parts of Texas that I'd be okay with. Yeah, I'd like Austin to go to Austin. Cool. Yes, I'm yeah. gonna go to Austin. Okay. Continuing. So the Church of Wells is primarily like a fairly small American religious organization, and it was previously known under two other names, one being the Church of Arlington and the You Must Be Born Again Ministries, shortened to the mouthful of an acronym, YMBBA. Oh Which God. when I read that, you I read must it, be I, born again. <laughs> I read it as Yabim, Yabimba <laughs> or something. <laughs> Yabimba. That's a good name for it. Great acronym. Okay. But mostly it'll be known as the Church of Wells for our purposes. Okay. So as I said before, they're based out of Texas in the little town of Wells. Hence the name. Very creative there. So mm-hmm. Wells is a very small town in the eastern part of the state, roughly 700 to 800 people is their population. And when I Googled it, it looked like it was just like a little town grouped along a highway with a a bunch of churches there. Very church place. Um, So personally, not my vibe, but you do you, Texas. So it was founded in 2011 by a group of three men who I think at this point, they're probably in their 40s, but during the time of our story, they're in their late 30s. Um, their wow, 2011? Were, That's so recent. Yes. Uh, this is a new church they have with some issues. Um, so the founders were named Sean Morris, Jacob Gardner, and Ryan Ringnald. And prior to forming this church, they were all street preachers. So oh, they, had, God. Uh, they were very effective <gasps> at their proselytizing. No. Yes. And 
I saw a few different numbers for this, and I'm sure it fluctuated, but there seems to be about 90 members of the church, mm-hmm. and it said roughly 35 of those were children, most of them under the age of five. Okay. So it's definitely like targeting the younger demographic of like, we're a family yeah. church. Young yeah, and exactly. fun families. Young people who like need that sense of community. Mm-hmm. You know, young parents need support. Okay. Yes. So the Church of Wells is kind of a sect of Christianity that follows what's known as more like revivalist approach. So kind of from reading about it, I don't know that much about religion. Um, but that meant they're primarily interested in kind of renewing the vigor and like spiritual intensity in their followers. So they kind of wanted to make this a very like intense church experience. And okay. Another goal would be to convert as many people to their beliefs as possible. So kind of paraphrasing some of the language used on their website, the Church of Wells and its followers believe that most of Christian America is a darkened generation that is buried under a mountain of apostasy. What? So that sets the vibe. Yep, they think all other churches are doing it wrong, and they're all oh kind of hypocritical. They're all trash, and we're the best church. So okay. that's where we're starting out. Um, Great they place really to start out. Yes, they really value asceticism and think that all of their church members should have really intense self discipline meaning they should refrain from all forms of fun. So they did not encourage any leisure activities, no forms of entertainment. It's just like you pray, go to work, and the church is your life. Yes. Yep, sounds Um, like a cult. Sounds like so much fun. They wanted their congregation, if you will, to pray often for several hour stretches at a time every day. That's Um, so boring. That's mm -hmm. so boring. What do you even do? And some daily fasting as well. Of course. And more or less, I summarize it as to more or less be utterly disgusted with their own mortal sin. They wanted you to just like have a lot of self-hatred, it seems like. To be like, I'm never going to be good enough. Only if I like bend over backwards for this church Mm -hmm. will I be accepted. So... According to their belief system, it's only by reaching what they call the correct fruits of salvation that a person oh, the correct can get, ones. Yes, the person, the per, the parishioner, I guess, can then get mm-hmm. the elders' approval. And the elders at this time are like thirty-year-old men. It's those three guys. <gasps> they're like, we are the elders, and they're just the leaders of the church. Yeah, what authority do you have on anything? Uh, self-given we'll get more into their background because it's interesting and truly disgusting so basically you want to contort yourself um get the correct fruits of salvation by praying and being a good christian and Mm -hmm. at this point in the eyes of the church of wells then they're like okay you are saved now oh so these two 30 year old guys or three determine who's saved and who isn't yes okay okay um, so those are the general beliefs. I'm not saying that religions that like incorporate these particular elements are inherently cult-like or bad because like, I'm sure that's a lot of people's truth. Um, so I respect if that's what you choose to do, but I do think a lot of the actions of this church and as well as like a lot of other churches are rooted in power, brainwashing and exploitation, which are yep. inherently dangerous. <laughs> yes. Um, 
So I think one of the other really important elements of their belief is that they heavily value the following Bible verse. And this may be the only time that we have a Bible quote right on our podcast. (laughs) Hold hold your breath for more. Yes. (laughs) It says, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yay. And his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And so the interpretation of that, yes, I read that. I'm like, that means nothing. I don't know what that's saying. (laughs) But they interpret that as they go into lengthy detail on their church blog saying that it's a justification for people to join their church to then cut ties with everyone outside the group. Yeah, because it talks about like hating your family, right? Yes. So it's like, if they don't agree with you joining our church, like, hate, be done with them. Mm -hmm. So many members openly express rejection for everyone, whether it be like family or friends who isn't a member of the Church of Wells. And they also shunned everyone in the community, including their own families. And they also reject every other religious group that isn't theirs. So kind of what I said before, all other churches are not doing it well. We are, we are the only the perfect church. example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was how they got followers as well. Um, they were also extremely critical of the media. They encouraged their congregation to kind of like media is all lies. Mm-hmm. Like, but they also seemed very active online. They put a lot of their content on out via their website and Facebook but created this kind of very inward looking thought pattern among their other followers of don't consume any outside media, which of course can be devastating because it's making them more and more insular and more and more cut off from the real world. Yeah. Cutting it's cutting their people off from the real world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can look at pictures of this church on their website. And honestly, to me, it looks like a creepy summer camp (laughs) in the middle of nowhere. You can see like these like long bushy grasses and it looks like a big wooden shed with like all yeah. wooden interior. So this is not like fancy megachurch money. Yeah. There's no elegance here. It's just this is just a good old fashioned cult. A good old fashioned cult. So I thought it would be helpful to talk about the roots of the church in terms of its founders. So we have our three main guys, Sean, Jake, and Ryan. And they're all still involved with the church. And on the website, they each have their own blog that's connected to the church of just like ridiculous things. Um, You can read thrilling write-ups with titles like The End of the World and Christians. When is it time to leave your church? But my favorite one was called Lights Out and the Road to Hell. <laughs> sounds like a biker sad yes. biker movie. <laughs> it sounds like Ghost Rider. Like Nicolas Cage would be in that movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There'd definitely be multiple sequels to that as well. Oh, yeah. Um so these three guys all went to Baylor University together, which somewhere in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um Sean, who was the kind of original guy with the idea behind this, he majored in religion. And it seemed like his only extracurricular activity was standing on a milk crate between classes, <laughs> calling out to the other students, telling them to question their faith and just like oh. viewing his own beliefs. Yeah, I'm sure everyone uh, loved him. Everyone loved them. So one classmate remembered Sean coming up to him and he said he asked him, how much do you hate? Did you hate yourself when you accepted Jesus? And the guy's like, what? What? Um, I didn't. <laughs> and then he said, 
It was clear Sean was not ready to accept anyone as an authentic Christian unless they did it his way. So basically, he's he's not even being like, you need to come to Jesus, like you need to be a Christian. It's like, you need to be my kind of Christian or you're not good enough. Yeah, you need to hate yourself and yeah. be so, so much broken down that I can mm-hmm. manipulate you. And then you'll be my kind of Christian. Mm-hmm. So Sean did have a girlfriend that he dated for two years in college. I don't know how to pronounce her name. I want to say Kaja, but it's K-A-S-I-A. How would you say that? K-A-S-I-A? Yeah, like Kasia. Kasia? Okay. So Kaja said that over the course of their relationship, he shifted more and more towards the fundamentalist end of the spectrum. Not surprising considering the church that he ends up founding. And Mm -hmm. apparently when they met, she could not stand him because she thought he was very annoying. (laughs) Why did she date him? Your initial interpretation was correct. (laughs) Yes. So I think originally her kind of draw to him was that this was the time when she was kind of having her own newfound interest in like becoming a Christian, like what her religion Mm. means to her. So it started more as a friendship where they started dating and then... They talked about religion. It seemed like that's all they talked about, and that was kind of the foundation of their yeah. relationship. Um, she described it. She said it didn't really feel like a romantic relationship in, like, the traditional sense. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think, like, she took, like, a psych class or something like that, and she described it more as, like, proximity theory. So basically, if you spend enough time around someone, you'll start liking them. So she said that was kind of her justification. I'd never heard of that, so I thought that was cool. Yeah. At least she's self-aware. Yes. Oh, she moves on from this man. Don't worry. Good. Good. At one point, she said it was kind of weird, but she modeled for a painting that Sean's cousin did, who was also very religious, Mm -hmm. in which she laid down in the road, and he told her to pretend to be a dead girl. And so she's like, okay. And so she's like laying in the road modeling for this painting. And then he does the painting and he's like, oh, this represents the apathy in the current Christian church. And she's like, okay. (laughs) I'm doing you a favor. Don't insult me. Yes. So eventually, um, Kaja started cutting off ties from her own family and they thought she was being very disrespectful to them and was kind of using religious beliefs as a way out of that. She's like, oh, I can respect you because you're not the right kind of Christian. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So they're concerned. They're like, why are you dating this guy? It's clearly not a healthy relationship. Um, But then Sean says that the Lord has been talking to him and he's like, okay, the Lord told me we're going to get married one day. So she's like, okay, I guess I better keep dating you. No, don't listen to him. Don't listen. But also like I don't know. She's like a young girl. She's just getting into Christianity. Suddenly yeah. God is like, okay, we're sending you this message. Like, better marry him. Yeah. Um, so she doesn't agree to this right away. Um, he was creepy. And apparently Sean was obsessed with everything she would wear. Um, because he said ev- her clothes, even sweatpants, were so immodest that she would cause men to lust after her. She Ew. would cause men to lust yes, after her. Yes, she, she went up to men and were like, lust after me. Yes. Do it. He would make her wear clothes that were like three sizes too large, just like <gasps> hide everything. If that's what you want to do, then that's great. But if you don't want to do it and you're being forced to, 
Yes. How dare you? How dare you? And then he told her, this was in cautious words. He said, if I didn't change my clothes, that I was willing, willfully disobeying God and I was denouncing Jesus. What? Yes. What? Yes. And so okay. for all our listeners out there, just putting it out there, wear whatever you want. It is no offense or should be no concern to anyone else. No, it shouldn't be. That's your own personal decision. Mm-hmm. Um, Kaja also had to take over dealing with all Sean's finances for himself because he couldn't even handle it. He never had a job and he never really did anything except discuss religion with people, which wasn't even like a discussion. It was just talking at Screaming at people. Yeah. Yes. And she said to him, working is to have someone else in the name of Jesus, give him money, which kind of ties into the church of wealth belief later on because they were run mm-hmm. off of what they called love offerings which ew gross don't call it that yes ew that sounds like something else yes so the whole church of wells is funded off of love offerings which is just mm-hmm. donations from their people so kind of that was his concept of money is you talk to people about jesus and they will just give you money in the name of jesus in the name of the son the father and the holy spirit yep okay So probably the most disturbing thing that I read about Sean was that this was a little anecdote from someone who was his classmate at Baylor, and they said they were taking an environmental ethics class, which sounds interesting. Yeah, that sounds like a fun class. Yes. The topic of this particular discussion was ecofeminism and the patriarchy. So Sean did not handle this well. Can't imagine he would have. Yes. He immediately launches into the spiel about how the Bible and common sense are proof enough to him, that men are supposed to be dominant and women are supposed to be submissive. Of course. Well, that benefits him. So, of course, he's going to believe that. Um, To justify this, he said that men are superior to women, and his proof was that he could beat up any woman in the class. Oh, my God. Of course. And apparently, the whole classroom was just silent, and, like, people just gasped and were like, what? Like, did he just say that? He's just, like, one of those people that says, oh, well, I guess if women are equal to men, that means I can punch women in the face now. Like, no, that's not... Yeah. You you shouldn't be punching anyone in the face. Why does your mind immediately go to violence? So, thankfully, everyone else in this class did not agree with him. They were justly outraged. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was kind of funny how they went about this. They said, like, first of all, Sean, how dare you say something like that? It's like that's just wrong. And secondly, they're like, that's not even true. There are women in here who could like kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I Sean, you're kind of like the skinny little wimpy guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, based on what I'm hearing, I feel like he has never been to the gym a day in his yes. life. And no, cause he was woman, just preaching at people the whole time. Yeah. Any person that just like went to the gym and like lifted weights one time would probably be in better physical shape than him. Mm. Yes. And so his rebuttal to all of these people who were like trying to call him out on this, mm-hmm. he said, well, nine out of 10 girls can't beat me up. And that's how he got the nickname called nine to 10 Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he was bullied in college. Like, yes, bullying bad, but sometimes people like him need to be yes. bullied so yes. that it's made clear that their beliefs will not be tolerated by society mm-hmm. at large. 
So eventually Sean and Kaja don't last because he's terrible and manipulative and was using religion as a way to like have a hold over her. But Mm -hmm. like the powerful woman that she was, eventually she goes to therapy and is like, okay, yes, this is bad. And she's able to go on and live a great life away from him. So happy ending for her. Yes. So at this point, Sean has been dumped and... He's like, I don't know what to do with my life. So he launches himself into a friendship with two other classmates from Baylor, Ryan Ringnold and Jacob Gardner. And they were equally as religiously obsessed as Sean was. I don't know that much about Jacob. I couldn't really find a background on him, but they were kind of all in the same friend group. But we do know a little bit. I feel about like I Ryan. know enough about him. Oh, yes. You know like enough about him. He was friends with these his people. Type. Yeah. Yes. Um, so Ryan Ringnald was a pretty likable guy and he was in a frat, so he was pretty sociable. Um, this is starting out his first year in college. All of his frat brothers, they said he would, his kind of personality type, they described him as someone who would get obsessed with things and they'd be like all in with them and eventually move on to a new interest. So some of his past obsessions included obsessively, obsessively collecting Frisbees for disc golf. Okay. Online gambling and chewing tobacco. Those are all phases that he had. Those are all very different phases. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like those two, those three, no. One of those is not like the other. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? <laughs> um the disc golf <laughs> obsessively collecting frisbees. Frisbees. <laughs> they said he would just have stacks of them in his room. Oh my god. <laughs> I get what they're trying to say. Is it like it's his personality, yes. his, you know, obsessive yes. nature? But just be like, yeah, he was addicted to gambling. <laughs> he just collected so many frisbees. <laughs> oh my God, okay. Um, so they said when his religious obsession started, they thought it was a phase. They're like, Ryan yeah. will. Ryan eventually grew out of his frisbee thing, so maybe <laughs> yeah, he'll grow out of this too. But he did not. So after his freshman year kind of went downhill for him and when he was originally in the frat, they said he was very outgoing and very sociable. He would go to all the parties and, but when he got deep into his religion, he almost became monk. Like he became very somber. He stopped, they said he stopped drinking and stopped dating. And apparently those were red flags to them. Yeah. (laughs) This is not the Ryan we know. No. And he would just study religion all day. And they said it was like, he kind of had a flat affect and it seemed like his personality was gone. All he would do would be discuss religion with his new That's so creepy. I know it's kind of. Can you imagine living in a frat house with him, with that guy? I'd be like, no, you need to leave, okay? Yeah, and I think he stayed in the frat the whole time he was there. He was being kind of creepy about it. Those people were too nice. I would have kicked that man out. So, the three guys graduated from Baylor in 2008, and after that, of course, they never got real jobs. Um, Why would they? Yes, they just, it said they traveled around preaching to whoever would listen. So apparently they were good at that because they had lots of practice in college. So after two years of traveling and being street preachers, they had several loyal followers. So they decided to start a tiny little church in Arlington, Texas, which I mentioned before was called the Church of Arlington. 
And this is where they coined the term church elders. So these pretty much freshly graduated college students, oh, we're the church elders. And people bought into it. They're like, this sounds good to us. Dude, why? If you're like in your 20s, you're not an elder of shit. I know. You're not anything. anything. Mm -hmm. No, I don't know anything. Yeah. Um. So in 2012, for financial reasons, I think they got kicked out of their little church of Arlington. Mm -hmm. So they had to move to the town of Wells and started the church of Wells. Um, It is at this point where we reach one of our first controversies that basically made the town of Wells hate this church. So it's the May of 2012, and there is a baby born into a family in their church community. Um, Mm -hmm. Her name was Baby Faith, and she had been born with some kind of heart defect. Um, She wasn't born in a hospital. She was born in somebody's apartment, like the apartment of the family, and was clearly very unhealthy from birth. The mother had not received any prenatal care because, of course, the religion is pushing that, like, oh, the community outside is bad. Science is bad. We protect our own. Yes. So she was born with a heart defect, and she was bluish. And never because she couldn't get enough oxygen. Oh, no. So, of course, instead of bringing her to actually get medical care, they are like, "Okay, we'll just we'll just pray over her." And well, yes, so all day they would have this baby in the apartment. Different elders, different family, uh, church families would come, and they would just pray over this baby. So after about three days of this, the baby goes into distress, of course, because her heart is. Not working well. Yes, not working properly. Um, And unfortunately, baby Faith passed away at three days old at about 1 p.m. So at this point, their baby, I know, she'd been suffering since she was born and never gets any treatment for that. She passes away. Okay, usually the thing you would do after that, you'd try to call 911 maybe when you notice your baby stops breathing. But no, they they send in a lot of church members to pray for a resurrection. Um, Next logical step. Yes, so that starting at 1 p.m. Um, It is not until many hours later at 4 a.m. the next morning that 911 is called. And they're like, okay, what have you been doing? And they're like, mm, she's been dead a while. We've just been praying for resurrection. Clearly it does not work. Yeah. They threw in the towel. They're like, now let's get rid of the body. Yes. So I don't think any charges were pressed regarding the baby's death, but it definitely did not help the church's reputation in town. What I mean, people th- couldn't they charge them with like negligence? At least the parents. I know. I think they should have been. Yeah. Because that poor baby. It seems like what was wrong with her could have very easily been taken care of if she had just yeah. received the proper medical care. Yeah, it said it's a pretty serious heart condition, but if she had been brought to the hospital, she would have been able to survive. Yeah. Okay. But ignorance and neglect of this poor baby. So people in Wells didn't think very highly of the church. They said they were kind of knew them as the people who would walk around carrying Bibles, talking down to people, and telling them they're going to hell. Oh, yeah. They always have to talk down to you. They have to be mm. like, I, when you tell them, like, shut up or, like, fuck you, then suddenly they're like, oh, I feel so bad for you. Like, God loves yeah. you, even though you're treating me like this. Like, no. Yes. <laughs> the other weird beef that apparently these townspeople had with the Church of Wells congregation said, 
they would ride their bikes all hours of the night. <laughs> okay. Wait, just like regular bikes or like motorcycles? Yes. Regular bikes. That's a weird thing to get mad about. It's a weird thing to do too. It is. It's just weird. <laughs> so not too long after the death of that baby, mm-hmm. um, we come upon our second controversy, which is perhaps one of the largest of the Church of Wells, in July 2013. And this was the original case that I heard about this cult slash church through. So we're going to... Our story starts in the summer of 2013, and we are starting in Arkansas, so not too far away. The Duggars. The Duggars. So Catherine Grove is... a by all accounts, smart and articulate young woman. She's living in Arkansas. She's currently enrolled in nursing school and has her own apartment there. She's doing Um, well for herself. She's doing well for herself. She'd grown up in Arkansas and went to university there, and it was her dream to travel throughout South America to do missionary work. So she majored in Spanish for that reason. Uh, when she was one semester short of graduation, she had a pretty profound life change in which she had to take care of her grandfather as he was dying from leukemia. So this motivated her to change her field of study from Spanish to nursing, which I didn't know you could do that your last semester in college, but apparently this was the choice she chose to make. So his death was extremely challenging for Catherine, and she took some time off from school to moved back in with her parents on their farm. So she's like, okay, I'm really upset about what happened. Mm -hmm. I just kind of want to refocus. So she ended up earning her certification to be a nursing assistant and got a job working in ICU in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I think this is when she was still enrolled in nursing classes to complete that degree. So it was at this point, early 2013, that according to Catherine's parents, she had a sudden shift in her behavior and disposition. I think this was in part because she had just been really close to someone who passed away and she'd been with him kind of through the end stages of his life. So that was really challenging for her. But she would say things like, why go into nursing as a career when God's just going to kill everyone anyway? Oof, so that was not a good place to be in. Yes, that was Catherine's headspace, and she started to socially withdraw. She had been she had been part of a church community, not like one, not a Church of Wells mm-hmm. vibe up until this point, but just kind of a regular Christian church. So she had been a member of the choir. She quits the choir, and she quits her job at the ICU. Her parents try to be very supportive of her, but they're confused. They're like, "Okay, well, what do you want to do now?" Because I think she's struggling with her feelings. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. And on July 2nd, Catherine donates all of her possessions and disappears. Her parents are frantic because they had no clue where she'd gone to. And she was pretty close to all of her family members. So this was very much out of the blue for her. So a few days later on July 7th, after they haven't heard from her for a while, and are of course like, we have no idea where she went. We can't yeah. find her. The parents' phone rings in the middle of the night, and they answer it. It's Catherine, and she says, I'm in Wells, Texas, with a group of people who are taking good care of me, but I can't listen to you anymore. I can only listen to my elders. I have to keep my hands over my ears. You're going to see a lot of bad stuff on the internet about them, but none of it is true. 
Oh, first giant red flag. Big red flag. So, of course, her parents are like, okay, glad to hear from you, but we're mega concerned. Yeah. (laughs) So, they're they're clear. It's clear to them that she's being brainwashed by this group. Mm -hmm. And they're concerned about her well-being. So, slowly, they start backtracking through Catherine's past year or so and are eventually able to piece together what happened to lead that led to this. So going back to 2010, she had gone to a Bible conference in which she met a traveling evangelist who told Great. her about what we later know to be the Church of Wells. Um, so this guy said, oh, it's the only church in America that's practicing true biblical Christianity. It's like, of course, yeah. all the, all the other true churches are doing it biblical. wrong. Mm-hmm. Yes. Your church is doing it wrong. If you want to know like the real shit, come to us. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So she's like, okay. So the church is on her radar. She's aware of it, but she doesn't jump all in in 2010. Mm-hmm. It isn't until the death of her grandfather in 2011 that she reaches out to the church via email and Skype. So at this point, it was called the Church of Arlington. And over the course of the next two years, they're slowly working on her to kind of persuade her to come to Texas, come join us. But she's still in school then. But I think when her grandfather dies and she has a sudden, like, jewel into, like, an existential crisis. Yeah. She needs something to cling to. Mm -hmm. Yes. So Catherine's parents said they knew nothing of the church and that she'd never spoken about it to them. So they start, as one does, investigating online. And a lot of, like, everything about the baby comes up. It's not looking good. So no. they find out it's run by these three guys who are in their like late 20s at this point. They're calling themselves the elders. And I guess when you first go on their website, it doesn't look like anything too crazy out there. It's like, oh, these are just like some wholesome church people. Like that's mm-hmm. the first picture that comes up is like these Duggar-esque looking women <laughs> and in front of their creepy little cabin. So they all look happy. They look smiling. The guys all have plaid on, of course. Of course. But as, as, Catherine, yes, as Catherine had said, there was also a lot of negativity online surrounding the church. Um, a lot of people had written their testimony of what had gone on with their involvement with it. Um, including one guy who had even gone to Dr. Phil Ooh. with his experience. Yes, we <gasps> love God. that. And you can watch like interviews with this guy. It's kind of interesting. Um, so they said they'd been talking to these kind of like street preachers. And they're like, oh, would you like a drink of water? And they're like, sure. And they just hand them a water bottle. This one guy said he drank the water bottle and then he kind of like felt woozy and he like blacked out from there. The next thing he knew, he woke up in a car and they're like like, we're taking you to the church of wells and he felt like really out of it oh my god it was so scary and then he said they take him to this building in the middle of nowhere he has no idea what's going on and everyone there's like welcome welcome they're like kind of in their terminology they call it love bombing of like yes like god loves you we all love you and he said Mm -hmm. he was so freaked out because everyone there already knew his name (gasps) And he had, like, just been talking to this random guy on the street. And this then is a nightmare. This is a nightmare. I know. Ah, it's so creepy. Ah. So creepy to hear. But, of course, like, he needs to drink water. So every time he drinks water, it's actually laced with something that we'll get into later on. But he's like, I couldn't even think properly. I felt like I was, like, kind of 
half blacked out the entire time. So I couldn't do anything. It was so scary, but eventually his family's able to figure out where he is and they kind of had to talk to them for a long time before they're like, okay, can we see our son please? And they're like, no, like you can only do it in the presence of elders. And eventually they like get the son and they're like, get out of there. So luckily he was one of the success stories of his family was able to rescue him. And they were kind of talking to Dr. Phil about this. And based on his experience, they're like, okay, we think you were drugged pretty much the entire time you were there. Mm -hmm. So they even went so far as to have some of his hair tested. And it revealed that he had a lot of over-the-counter sleeping pills in his system, along with prescription-level muscle relaxants. (gasps) So he had clearly... The Church of Wells was up to some shady stuff with this guy. I just, okay, I feel like they're cheating. I think the old-fashioned way of doing cults yes. is you farm them, you know? Like, you don't drug them. You don't them. drug them. You psychologically manipulate the shit out of them. They're they're yes. cheating. That's not, that's not that's right. So, that's so scary, too, of like, oh, you want a sip of water? And then suddenly it you is. wake up in a car, like, blacked out and you can't move that's horrifying how is that okay like how were they not in prison i know um there are also quite a few other stories of families who were looking for their children they're like we know they're in the cult but there's nothing we can do to get them out because they're so like Mm -hmm. controlling um there was also a serial killer named israel keys who i don't know the specifics of his case but he was linked to this church because his mother and his sisters were both members. I don't think he was a member, but his family were. No, he's doing his own thing. Yes. It, apparently, he even went to a wedding at the church once. Yeah, that's Great. just all you need to know. Serial no, that's, not a, come to our that's not a good link. Yes. It's not. Okay, so back to our story with Catherine. That was kind of everything that comes up when you Google Church of Wells, and they're like, Jesus, we need to get her out of yeah, here. Yeah, her parents are probably terrified at this point. Yes. So they they are both Christian. So they said at first they wanted to kind of be accepting of their daughter's choices. They're like, okay, she's old enough to, if she wants to join a church that's different from ours, of course she can do that. But they're like, yes. this is too extreme. This is taking that too far. So they said they wanted to do a wellness check with her and talk to her in person about it just to be like, okay, We'll support you if you want to do this. We just need to talk to you in person to make sure you're safe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Perfectly the timing, valid. yes. The timing when they wanted to go see her lined up with a family trip that they had planned. Um, Catherine's mom, her family lived on a ranch in the middle of Texas, kind of in central Texas. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, okay, we're going to drive out to the ranch. So on the way... They had all their other kids in the car. They're like, we're going to go stop in Wells, see Catherine, make sure everything's okay with her, make sure she's safe, and then go on, continue with our family trip. So they're like, okay, it's a tiny little town. Obviously, we'll be able to find the church. So they arrived to Wells in the evening and said the entire place just had the most creepy, like, post-apocalyptic kind of vibe going on because a lot of thunderstorms had just passed through. So everything's kind of like grayish yellow and there's no people outside. It creeps me out. And they were just driving along the streets because at this time the church had no address listed. 
and are getting really sketched out because the town does not Mm -hmm. look great. They said it was just a lot of really unkept houses, kind of like neglected abandoned stores. So eventually somebody gives them directions to the R&R Mercantile, which apparently they said it was a fusion gas station slash laundromat slash grocery store, (laughs) which was run by the Church of Wells. So great. And of course, they're like, oh, we're looking for the Church of Wells. Our daughter Catherine's there. And they're really getting the cold shoulder from this place because they're like trying to cover up. Oh, no, we don't know anything about that. And they're being very cold with them. So when they're not really getting any answers, they're like, okay, it's getting dark out. We'll just continue back. So they go back to the ranch. I think the rest of their family stays there. But Catherine's parents decide to go back to Wells three days later. So they're doing the same thing. They're driving around the town, kind of looking to talk to someone. A lot of people are kind of like, don't want to talk about it. Eventually, they come across three teenagers in a pickup truck, and they ask about the Church of Wells. Before they can even finish getting the words out, one of the Teenagers goes, oh, you're looking for the cult? (laughs) (laughs) That's like that one King of the Hill episode where he's like, is this the cult? And they're like, no, this is the, like, blah, blah. He's like, yep, this is it. That's what that Uh, is. Yeah. Um, And this guy's being very helpful. He leads them to a white two-story house and says, you need to get your daughter out or they're going to marry her off. And they're like, (gasps) oh, geez. (laughs) What? So that was the energy this cult was giving off. Yeah. So after a while, they have to go through multiple people, and they eventually meet Ryan Reynold, our frisbee bro, mm-hmm. as he was known, and eventually are able to see Catherine. She is never allowed to talk to them unless she's in the presence of the elders. And at this point, she's definitely bought into their philosophy, like 100%. She's acting very meek, very submissive. And they said that was totally unlike her personality before. She'd always been like very like outspoken and bubbly and engaging. And now she's like had very monotone voice. And every time she spoke, she would look to the elders first, which makes sense if they're drugging them with like muscle relaxers yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so her parents were able to see her two more times over the course of the next two weeks, but it was only with the elders present. And they said that it felt like they were jumping through hoops with the elders just to speak to her. They would have to like sit through these long meals and some of the articles like detailed everything that they ate. It was like, they ate canned corn. So apparently that was their vibe. (laughs) Um, At one point, this woman was the mother of Israel Keys, the serial killer. She's like one of their higher ups in the church. Or she is. So she tells the parents, we have to judge you by your fruits now. And they're like, what? <laughs> the, the mom is like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then she just goes, well, I can tell by your fruits that you are an ungodly, unsaved <laughs> tell woman. Tell by your fruits. I can tell. It's just weird. <laughs> so they do not have the correct fruits, apparently. Um, yeah shame on them really yes they'd have to sit through like these long dinners and prayers and stuff they're like we just want to talk to our daughter oh my god why are you making us do this i can just feel the panic setting in for these poor parents Mm -hmm. so eventually they meet Catherine again and she says she won't talk to her mom because the church doesn't believe a wife should talk without her husband's permission so she will only address her father she says dad i don't need you anymore i want you and mom to leave and they're like, okay. And then 
at that point, the elders are getting very close off. They're like, okay, she doesn't want you here. You have to leave. And they're like, okay. Mm -hmm. So they do. They've also tried to go back multiple times. Um, They said one time they just went to the R&R Mercantile and they're like, oh, we'd like to buy some ice cream. Our daughter's Catherine. And then they're like, Catherine, they're like, we can't sell ice cream to your kind. (laughs) Oh my God, come on. (laughs) So not looking great for getting her out of this. They said every time they talked to her, she had a very flat affect and looked very gaunt. But the only thing that she would say back to them, she constantly reiterated that it was her own choice. She wanted to stay with the church and she is an adult. So legally they have to let her. But up until this point, Catherine's still involved with the church, but their parents have vowed to continue fighting for her to get out. Um, as of this point, they know that she has been married to a church member and has two kids that her parents have never been able to meet. Um, I know it's so sad too, because apparently she's allegedly tried to leave a few times and she's like tried to call 911 first in 2015, the local sheriff department received a 911 call from somewhere in town. And it was Catherine. She said she needed a ride. Um, so then the sheriff shows up and there's just kind of this young woman standing there by mm-hmm. herself. And he's like, oh, like, can I take you somewhere? Do you need to get somewhere? And she's like, I want Dairy Queen. And so the sheriff says, okay. So he drives her <laughs> to the Dairy Queen and she makes a call to her father from there. And she's like, dad, come, you need to come pick me up. And so the dad drives there. Um, she meets with him, but immediately she changes her mind. She's like, within 48 hours, she had returned to the church so that was kind of her only chance at like maybe her kind of having a realization that she needed to get out. That was dangerous. And some other witnesses say the day that she called 911 saying she wanted to leave, they had seen her arguing with leaders of the church. So I don't know how like in her present mind she is yeah. because if you Google Catherine and Church of Wells, the first thing that comes up They have several online statements regarding her. And there's this really creepy video of Catherine Catherine that they film. She just talks in like a really stilted, strange way. And there's like a statement describing how terrible the parents are. And I love this church is so petty that they have an entire like page on their website devoted to how much they hate these parents. (laughs) They're like, oh, they like psychologically manipulated her. I'm like, "Mm, that's rich. Yeah, that's ironic yes yeah, like they tried to have her hospitalized for like mental illness and can you believe a parent would do that like okay these parents actually seem yeah, like they're trying to take care of their nice. daughter and get her away from you so there's a lot more information pretty much detailing Catherine's entire story there but unfortunately she's still involved with the cult and is being manipulated oh, by them. I wanted her to be free. I know. And hopefully one day the parents will be successful in that. So that's the gist of our story, but that's clearly a bummer to end on. So I wanted to leave it off with something a little bit more entertaining called Google reviews of the church of Wells. I looked that up right now. And oh I was going to be like, God. we should read one. Oh okay, my God. They're okay. amazing. So I picked, Please my, go. picked my three favorite. Yes. <laughs> As of now, the church has two stars and it seems to be either in the category of, we recognize that this is a cult, which is what I would be giving them a very mm-hmm. low rating or 
we love them and we think they're doing the true Lord's yes. work. Yes. Sorry. It's just so when you go to the Google page reviews, mm-hmm. there's a key, there's like keywords. And the number mm-hmm. one is cult, God, and brainwash. Yes. Yep. <laughs> not, not really great branding. Okay. No. So I chose my three favorite. Awesome group of people. Sean is the most generous and kind person I've ever met. He used to stock shelves at Walmart, working the overnight shift just to reach people that wouldn't otherwise hear the word of God. <laughs> he throws a baseball super far and loves Jesus more than anything in the world. In the world yes. I read I it with read passion. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, we need to read it. Throws a yes. baseball far. <laughs> throws a baseball super far. far. Oh uh, and then one that I possibly would have written, it's a cult, stay away. Okay. And this is third and possibly the best. It says nothing against JC, which I'm assuming stands for Jesus Christ could be off, but just said, I'm not really into in quotes, plaid shirts. (laughs) I mean, it was cool in the nineties and then there was cargo shorts. (laughs) Damn near ruined my life. Unclear what that had review. It's unclear what that had to do with the church. <laughs> it's just like what the fuck. So they're bananas. This place is a cult. Stay. Oh my hard. god, this one is good too. Yes, Five stars. Uh-huh. Definitely more into satanic cults. I can't <laughs> ignore the fact that y'all are so good at brainwashing. Hard eyes emojis. <laughs> Keep up the good work. <laughs> I think nothing will be. He throws the baseball super far. <laughs> He throws the baseball super far. Cargo shorts, damn near ruined my life. (laughs) Damn near ruined my life. One of them just says, um, as far as I saw, just a small church, five stars. Okay, do you look up the church, though? Do you think it looks like a creepy abandoned summer camp? Just look at it. Oh, wait, I need to look at the actual thing. Yes, it does. Church building in 2020. No, I don't like it. I don't like it either. It's like in a barn. Mm Mm-hmm type thing i also looked up all the pastors and their yes. unfortunate brain wash wives and i am even more disturbed oh my god there's one it said i don't remember which of the three main guys but one of them recently got married off and it said it was this woman who was like pursuing higher education it, like the University of Minnesota or something like that. They said she was like so close to graduating, like finishing, I think it was her PhD. And that suddenly she got sucked in with this guy and she quit school. She left her whole family and she's like, yup, he's, this is the one. And everyone was just appalled at it. I'm just, I'm looking at poor sweet Catherine. She looks like such a kind person. I know. These men have the most punchable faces. I know. Just their radiating smugness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I thought it was interesting learning about their like background in college because you want to be like, okay, these people are terrible. But then where did the terribleness start from? I think it, it was like a, a seed planted inside them. Yes. Of horrible smugness that mm-hmm. grew a sense of superiority. And also yes. a healthy dose of misogyny and wanting to... Oh my God, yes. Abuse their position of power over people to get mm-hmm. what wanted. Yeah, so moral of the story, well, stay away from yeah. cults and churches that double as cults. Because stay away from creepy guys who hoard disc golf frisbees. Oh yes, for sure. Okay. Also, a bunch of these people were arrested. Sorry. Good. Wait, really? Yeah. I didn't see that. Yeah, for different things, for like trespassing and shit. 
But like, as far as I know, they're still operating their church. Nope, they are. They are. But at least it's something. Okay, I'm going to end off with a lovely cocktail recipe. Are you ready for it? Yes, I'm very excited. So this is from my Sex on the Beach and Other Wild Drinks, a mixer's manual, which is like a beautiful 90s cocktail book. (laughs) I love it. This one I chose solely based on the name. It's called Huckle My Butt. (laughs) Huckle My Butt? Yes, it's very simple, so. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay, so the only ingredients you'll need are two ounces of brandy beer. I don't know what brandy beer is. Um, Yeah, those are two different alcohols, but okay. Mm -hmm. And then one egg, beaten. A pinch of sugar, pinch of cinnamon, cloves, and nutmeg. And for preparation, pour the egg and spices into a pint glass. And fill with beer. Isn't that disgusting? What? It's a raw egg in beer. That's all <laughs> that's it is. Not, that's not okay. <laughs> you don't do that. Oh, it's so bad. Like, you can use eggs in stuff, but, like, uh-huh. you don't just beat an egg. And then dump and it, put into, it into a glass. No. no, you cannot do that. It should be illegal. <laughs> Oh what my the god. Fuck. Huck on my butt. Is it saying like you're gonna have diarrhea after this? <laughs> because you consumed a raw egg in the United States? Yes. For real. So yeah, brandy beer. What's brandy beer? Yeah, let's see. Um, hmm. I don't see anything. Yeah, I guess it's not real. <laughs> it's real. Like brandy flavored beer? I guess so. Oh my God. Beer brandy. That's so weird. It doesn't (laughs) exist. Oh my God. Maybe it was just, maybe that book is a joke. (laughs) I hope so. They were just like, (laughs) yeah, that's so weird. Yeah. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay, I found it. So they take. Like beer, uh-huh. like regular beer, and then they distill it even further, and that oh. creates a liqueur that I guess they call brandy beer. Brandy beer. Yeah, but why would you? I don't know. It's that's not something good. That's bad. Yeah, it's just distilled beer. So yuck. Weird. So don't make that for yourself. No, don't. Make hope that you enjoy. <laughs> oh yeah, hope you did. That was a. This was an interesting. Week. I feel like we deviated a little bit from our usual, but we did in a good way. I don't know. Maybe I want to do more cult stuff because I thought it was really interesting. Cults are very interesting. I find them fascinating. I'm also scared of cults. Maybe I should do. Okay, I know we were, wanted to do a very special episode mm-hmm. of the Duggars, but what if I just did like a crime and listed all the Duggars' crimes? Yes. That, that would still be very long. Episode. Yeah. <laughs> just, list so all the Duggars' crimes. Yeah. List all we'll the just do a crimes. special Duggar episode. Yes, that's the one that's coming next because I need to talk about the Duggars. I'll bring my yes. babies with me. So good luck. You just hold them. <laughs> I'll hold the babies. babies. <laughs> yeah, I'll channel the Duggar energy through these twerking babies. <laughs> well, thank you for hey. listening. Yes, thank you so much for joining us into the new year. Yes, and yes. watch out for men who hoard frisbees. Stay safe. Yeah, um, if you ever needed another sign to be distrustful of men and frats. I think it's this. Yes. Yeah. 
So, okay. Well, well goodbye. Bye. We'll see you next week. See you next week.